Hello, my good friends. This is Dan Jones with another Quiet Talk to share with you today. Ministers are usually required to study systematic theology. I don't think that term needs much explanation. If you've never studied this subject, it consists in making a nice logical system out of the Bible and what we know of God. People like systems. If I buy some new gadget that I don't know how to operate, I'd like it to come with a nice, systematic owner's manual. Of course, I skip those first pages that tell you smart things like, don't use this electrical device in the bathtub, and I get right right down to how to work the thing. Quite often, they'll start by telling you how to plug it in and turn it on. That makes perfect sense. Then they go into more detail about using the device. Many people approach The Christian faith like this, the tendency to create systems is part of our human nature, to to want to be in control. Have you noticed that we like to be in control? Seems like those controllers are in the ascendancy these days, but that's not my topic. Think about the Bible for a minute. I know most of you love God's Word, and you read it and study it, and that's great. Keep it up. I try to do the same. So what have you noticed about the Bible? Have you by any chance noticed that the Bible is not very systematic? I have. I remember as a young man studying the Bible to try to understand the system of theology regarding the second coming of Christ and the end of the world that was presented to me as I was growing up. Now, I'm not going to go into what that system was, but let me just say that when I looked into the Bible for myself, I realized that I couldn't agree with what I had been taught. I just couldn't find it in the pages of Scripture. Now, it was created by some folks who were really into systems. Now, don't get me wrong. Systems are not always bad. There are systems that provide us with water and electricity. If you run a restaurant, you will need a system. You will need organization. The same is true if you manufacture automobiles or just about anything else. Systems are good in their place. But God is not primarily interested in teaching us theological systems. The Bible is not as systematic as we would like it to be sometimes. Let me give an illustration. My wife, Debbie, and I have been married for over 42 years. During that time, we've learned a lot about each other. But I have to tell you that I have not been able to systematize our relationship. And I'm the guy, and guys sometimes tend to want things more systematic than the ladies. Now, please don't start throwing rocks at me. I'll tell you right out that my wife is much more practical than I am. You could say that in many things, she's quite systematic. But a marriage relationship just doesn't lend itself to systems. If our relationship was just a system, I don't know if I would like it very much. The thing about relationships is that sometimes there is the unexpected. Sometimes you're surprised. There are things, or those are the things, that keep the relationship alive. Which brings me to my point, finally. God is interested in relationship, and the Bible reflects that. In seminary, I first heard the term theological enterprise. I was so impressed. 
the thing, this thing is an enterprise. So I must have been wrong when, when I had the idea that it was really about our relationship to God. It's an enterprise. Who'd have thunk it? So let's look at a few places in the Bible that illustrate all of this. You all know about the flood that happened back there in the book of Genesis and how this guy Noah built a huge boat that saved him and his family from drowning. Right before this happened, the Bible says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Now, I've read stuff from the systematic guys where they really have a hard time with these two verses. I guess they don't fit well into their prefabricated theology. You know, we have a tendency in dealing with the Bible of trying to force verses into our system, sometimes at the expense of the plain meaning of the verse. These two verses from Genesis 6 provide a blazing example of this. But if you forget the system for a minute and just focus on God and what Genesis says about him, you begin to be drawn into this relationship thing. And you remember that God is a person, not a body of theological doctrine. Kind of like my wife. She is a person. And nobody gave me a well-written and well-organized owner's manual when we got married. Now, I could go on and on with examples from the Bible about all this. But let me just share one more, this one from the New Testament. In John 21, after the resurrection of Jesus, he had breakfast with a small group of his disciples. One of those present was Peter. Now, I'm sure you remember And not long before this, Peter had publicly denied that he even knew Jesus. This was the worst moment of his life. He was deeply broken over it. So what did Jesus say to Peter? Did he say, Peter, now I hope you'll study Christology. I am the Son of God who became incarnated in the person of Jesus of Nazareth so that you could learn the doctrine of the atonement in an orderly fashion. You're right, he didn't say that. What did he say? He said, Peter, do you love me? His only concern was with their relationship. He didn't teach Peter any systematic theology at that moment. He restored their personal relationship. Have you ever noticed that when Hollywood makes a movie that uh, is what they call based on a true story, They have to throw a love affair in there, whether there was one in the true story or not. Why do they do that? They do it because we are into stories of human relationships. They resonate with us. They do that because we were created for relationship. That's what this religion thing is all about. In case you haven't thought much about this, the Bible largely consists of stories, of narratives. We start with the story of creation and the fall, then the story of Noah and the flood, followed by the story of Abraham and his descendants. Now, there is certainly law in the Bible. It's part of the story. But even in law, God is showing us what our relationship to him is supposed to look like. 
According to Jesus, the greatest law in the Old Testament is the commandment to love God with all your heart. Imagine if the state of New York passed a law like that. I'm not going to even pursue that thought. Many of us at the beginning of our adult lives think we have a pretty good idea about how things will turn out. Then life happens, and it ends up being messier than we expected. There are many unexpected things that happen to us, kind of like in a well-written story. You know, I like history, probably because it's a story. Actually, history is his story. It's really about God and his workings with the creation that he loves. It's the story of salvation and redemption. Great stories often have tragic aspects to them. The story of man is no different. Man's rebellion against God and its consequences are tragic. But that's not the end of the story. The climax of the story, of course, is Jesus. God sent his only son, the son whom he loved, to bear the sin of the world, to die in our place, and then rise again victorious over death, that most awful consequence of our rebellion. You know, in all the thousands of stories that Hollywood has produced, there was one that they got right, at least the title. This was indeed the greatest story ever told. And yes, even this story of the ages is messy, but it has a very happy ending. One of the gospel hymns I grew up singing was written by the blind writer Fanny Crosby. By the way, you should read her story. Anyway, the hymn I have in mind starts like this. Tell me the story of Jesus. Write on my heart every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweeter that ever was heard. Father God, thank you for the story that you are writing. And I thank you that we're a part of that, Lord, part of your story. Lord, thank you, Jesus, that you died for us and rose again so that we could have a hope of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. My precious friends, we're kind of making our own story here in this Schenectady area, the capital district of New York State, Albany, Schenectady, in that part of the state. Uh, we are seeking to plant a church. We've been at it a little over two years now. We're still surviving. Called the Bread of Life Anglican Church. And we meet Sundays at 10 o'clock at 1809 Union Street in Schenectady. That's the American Legion Hall. 1809 Union Street, 10 o'clock on Sunday. And if you don't have a church home, if you live around here, come see us. We would love to meet you. As always, you can reach me by email at father.danjones at outlook.com. Dot com. May God bless you.